Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. The uh, Bills pulling off their first victory in three weeks. They defeat the Carolina Panthers 31-14. to The at-times hapless Carolina Panthers. Well, basically, they've been hapless over the last 11 games of their season. And now the Bills are 8-6. and six, And they have, you know, some opponent the the name of which kind of escapes me uh you know it's just a pretty a pretty ho-hum week 16 coming up Matt Beauvais I'm right right it's pretty ho-hum opponent coming up yeah this is just another game you know just the most most important game because it's the next game Joe yeah so uh, that, by the way, is Matt Beauvais. He is the sports director of uh, Channel 7 in Buffalo, WKBW. Joins me uh, each and every post-game show to break down what happened in the Bills' latest game. But, you know, really over the last month or so, it's been more big picture stuff than anything. And I have a feeling this is going to uh, follow a similar track because the emergency from last week about Josh Allen's walking boot and foot injury is now in in the past. Josh Allen played a full game. He even took the kneel downs at the end of the game. And it really did not seem like he was, the, the foot injury was bothering him in the slightest bit. So now that the Bills collected the victory that they should have against a, a Panthers team, I guess the big, my big takeaway, and you can disagree disagree with me if you want, Matt, but my takeaway is that this felt like the Saints game again, and it felt like the Texans game again, and the Washington football team game again. This is their sixth win out of eight where they're going up against a team that is starting a quarterback that was not their opening day starter, which is kind of ridiculous to think about their luck from that perspective. But also in the fact that, especially in these late season games, when the Bills are supposed to be getting to this point of peaking at the right time, and we saw a huge answer in the second half. And I think... I think uh, all our listeners will remember, like, I, I let off, even though they lost, I let off, like, you know, this is the best that I have seen them play in that second half of that game, the way that they march back, especially in offense, really for quite some time. So now the, the difficult thing is this Panthers game happened, and they did exactly what they needed to do. They won by 17 points. By the way, in those six games that I'm talking about against backup quarterbacks, they have outscored their opponents on average by 28.7 points. And that went down today because they only beat the Panthers by 17 points. So my big thing is, we didn't really learn anything about this Bills team. 
We know that they can beat teams like this, and they should beat teams like this in the way that they did. But I guess it's just setting up to for the realness of Week 16 against the Patriots, who did the Bills a favor by losing against the Colts. And now it's setting up to this humongous moment, and we get to finally see if this Bills team can deliver on all of the potential that people thought that they had heading into the season in another game against a team not named Kansas City. I think I think that's that's basically what it boils down to. I I, I don't even know what to talk about with this with this Panthers game. Obvi- like it, it's just there's nothing from this game other than like little minutia stuff that yeah. I can sit here and go, okay, well this is this is something that we have to talk about moving forward. No, we learned that the Bills can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, but we've known that since basically week two when they went on that run when they beat the Dolphins and then Washington and then Houston. And this is just what they've done all year. But we also learned that even after all of the nonsense of this season, after the ups and downs, and there seems like there have been a lot of downs and there's a lot of inconsistency and injuries and everything that's gone wrong, this team still has a chance to win the division And they still have a chance to be the two, the three seed potentially in the AFC. And I know the expectations were so much bigger this year, but if they still can win the division and ultimately go into the playoffs with a game or two at home, like this team's got a shot. So yeah, I don't think there's anything like really specific from this game that we take away. The defense looks pretty good against a bad Carolina Panthers offense without their best player and Christian McCaffrey. And the Bills offense looked pretty good not great against a pretty good to above average Carolina Panthers defense. But yeah, I I think this is all big picture. And, you know, you get on TV after the game and you're talking about what everybody else is talking. You know, you talk about what you think the biggest thing from the game is. And it's, yeah, the Bills win and they still have a chance to win the AFC East. It's not the Bills win and this is what happened against the Carolina Panthers. It's like they still got a shot. And a couple weeks ago, that would have seemed kind of bleak. But here we are. I would argue more Bills fans were invested in Saturday night's game than they were with Sunday afternoons. Would you Ooh. disagree? You know what? It's funny. I don't know if I... I think I think I would agree, but I do think that there are still some Bills fans who are probably watching that game and honestly just kind of not having a rooting interest because they didn't know if it would help the Bills or hurt the Bills based off of how they feel about next week. Because I think mathematically, the Bills' playoff chances actually went down a couple percentage points because the Patriots lost that game with the tiebreaker to Indianapolis and all that stuff. I I, I, I see what you're, I see your point. I mean, when... It's the path of least resistance to go and win the AFC East and get at least one home playoff game, if not two, if not three, while they're going about it and trying to get to the Super Bowl that way. Because if they have to go on the road right from the get-go as the 7 or 6 seed, Mm -hmm. odds are they are not getting a a single home playoff game down the stretch of the season. So, uh, the and this this was my major point. The Patriots, after the Bills, have the Jaguars and the Dolphins. And the Dolphins play them tough. The Dolphins do play them tough, especially down in Miami. However, Mm -hmm. this is not a Patriots team that feels like that they're going to go down and lay an egg to Miami. It it feels like the only chance that the Bills had to get back into it and get off the mat was if the Patriots were to lose to the Colts. And for that reason, I think that's why 
I think that that's why I have the sentiment that I do because I think people looked at this Panthers game as like, all right, they're going to win this game. And if they don't, they don't deserve to make it. So the fact that they went out and held serve and did everything that they needed to do that that Saturday game, I would, I mean, I was covering the game and I was checking my phone all night yesterday about the the Patriots Colts game. And it just felt like it felt bigger. Uh, to what the Bills ultimately will do than what the Bills did on the field on Sunday, as weird as that sounds. And what I think is so significant is, you know, it's funny. We we talked about so much after the Patriots game about so many things that went wrong for the Bills and how they had an opportunity there to win the game and they still fell short and how they still can't stop the run. We talked about all these different things. But in a wind tunnel that was ridiculous that night, I still want to see these two teams play with normal weather conditions where it's not just a complete mess when Mac Jones throws more than three times, when the Bills trust their quarterback to throw before the second half of the game begins, where the kickers aren't missing kicks from 30 yards away. Like I want to see how these teams stack up. And it's just so perfect that it kind of played out this way. And I don't think... Any Bills fan thought this would be the point where we were at going into week 16, the day after Christmas. But this becomes an incredibly compelling game that I'm sure the league probably wishes they put into a better time slot. They ultimately decided against that. Great for us. We love the 1 o'clock Sunday games. But this is a big game, and there are so many implications that come with this. I'm surprised the game is being played at 1. But this week is going to be nuts because of, you know, and it's not even just the game. It's the way the last game happened and the comments from Sean after the game that took off and what Mac Jones did in that game and just all of the things. There's so many layers here, and it's just so perfect that it's against two division rivals. One rival has dominated this division for two decades. The Bills finally slay the dragon last year. And here we are back to this kind of same thing. It's it's perfect. It's it's just so poetic and it's going to be such a fun week. Yeah, and this is really if you look at how the Bills offseason might shape up, this roster dramatic might be not not the right word, but it has a chance to be legitimately different in a lot of different areas next year to where this two-year window that they've kind of concocted for themselves, um, it might equal to a bit of a step back next season just from an on-field talent standpoint based on all the the contract expiring and guys getting a year older and them being kind of up there in age at a lot of different positions. So this is, even though they have been as inconsistent as they've been, um, you know, leading up to this Panthers game for that eight-week stretch, it's still their best shot at winning the whole thing. And I think that's that's the important piece to where this conversation needs to go. Because I know that last week we sat there and talked ad nauseum, you know, outside of the guy being angry that I was trying to get in the hotel room. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> outside of that was the optimism that I think permeated from that the way that they battled back in the second half and continued the the word that kept coming back to me was that the offense felt inevitable and if the if the bills feel that way against 
a quality opponent like the Buccaneers, then anything is on the table. But it, like we've just laid out, it all boils down to having the right circumstances heading in. Could they win three road games in a row and, and w- get to the Super Bowl and win it all? Sure. It's been done before. It doesn't happen a lot. And when the Bills play usually as well as they do at home, and the fact that they won two playoff games at home last year to get to the AFC Championship game, like Sean McDermott's team has not won a playoff game outside of Highmark Stadium. Like that's 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 a pretty big thing here. So uh, that's why that Patriots loss was so important. That's why this Patriots game is coming coming up is so important. And the fact that the Patriots now, well, they've always had flaws, but now that the flaws are more apparent. And, you know, you there's a psychological component to it here where you see the team struggle, especially when they get down early on. Everybody knows that that's, that's like the formula to, to get them really and force Mac Jones to become the guy for them. And he struggled early on in that game against the Colts. But to see it work the week before that the Bills have to go and do it on the road... I mean, sure, the Patriots are going to have more motivation to, you know, make sure that that doesn't happen again. But this is still a team that this Bills team should be able to beat if they want to get where they want to go, even on the road, even against, uh, you know, with how the last matchup played out and, and everything along those lines. The Bills have all the talent to beat that team in that setting. And if they play the way that they did against this in the second half against the Buccaneers, they played the way they did against the Panthers for the most part in this game, then they certainly have every opportunity to do it. But now we get to learn exactly who they are. We get to see if they've graduated. Because the, the stat that keeps coming out again and again, 0-5 in, in one-score games. And that's, that's a huge thing. I mean, they're, they're matched with the Texans. In that regard, not a great thing, even though the Texans won today, not not an ideal scenario. So when you have, you know, I was joking with with Tim Graham that they were uh, letting the Panthers stay in just so they could get a a one win on a one score game (laughs) by the end of it today. It didn't work that way. But that's that's what they have to graduate from this season. They beat the Chiefs, which was a great win. They have to do something else besides that. That can't be their only thing. Otherwise, all they're looking at is a win over to a Tonga Bailoa, and that's it. Yeah. You know, there is the possibility that they go and they win in convincing fashion. I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to I, I don't think that's going to happen, but the Bills have the, the Bills have the talent to do it. I'm not suggesting they will. I think as long as it's a quote unquote normal weather day. I like their chances of them going and getting a win against the Patriots next week more than I did a couple weeks back in Monday Night Football. It just felt like that was just a really bad kind of formula with the way the Bills were playing at that time and their strengths and weaknesses matched up against what New England does well and what New England doesn't do well. And don't get me wrong, there are some big red flags when it comes to the Bills, but It did feel like after watching, I only got to see the second half of the Patriots-Colts game on Saturday night, and that's when they started playing well. But Mm -hmm. I did go up and I watched, you know, just highlights from the 
entire game. And it, it, there were some mistakes from Mac Jones. And I feel like we've all known, like the formula is you need to make this guy try and extend the field. And that's when there'll be mistakes made. And there's questions on both sides injury-wise. Like we don't know what Damian Harris status will be for next week. We don't know what the Bills offensive line is going to look like with the COVID questions and everything that happened this weekend. So there are different factors that go into it there, but yeah, this is the team that they have to beat because like you said, they beat Kansas City, but they also beat Kansas City when Kansas City was at its pretty much lowest point this year. And now the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC and it's the team mm-hmm. that everybody is chasing. So quite you know, possibly if, the best team in the NFL. Yeah. And if like these two teams play again, which would be in the playoffs at some point, if the Bills get to the playoffs, it's not like I think Bills fan. I don't think Bills fans can rationally go back and be like, "Well, look what we did to them in early October." It's like the team was Kansas City was so different then than they are now. There, there's things you can take away from that game and say, "Okay, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this." And if we do that, you know, we could go and get a win. But it's not like a foregone conclusion. Like the Bills have figured out the Chiefs or anything like that. Because I feel like that's still you know, way, way, way off in the distance. But I I don't know. I'm going into this week for the Bills. I think it's a huge week for Sean McDermott. I I think that the Bills have the talent to go to New England and get a win, but they need to make the right decisions and their coach needs to go in and have a strong game plan and set them up for success. And I don't think they had that same recipe a couple weeks ago when they played them on Monday night. And this is a big test for Sean McDermott. This is a big test because he has the talent with this team, even with the injuries, even with the players on the COVID list. The best player on the field when they play each other Sunday afternoon will be Josh Allen. And they should be able to get a win. I don't know if they will, but they should be able to. And by the way, the early betting lines are out. At most places, the Patriots are about a point and a half favorite between a point and a half and a two and a half point favorite, which means, as we know, you know, you get three points for being at home. It's basically a pick em. basically. And yeah, it's going to be a week. My initial, read, my initial read on that line, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. That My initial no. read on that line is that that's, that's trying to sucker people in to bet the Patriots. Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely. A hundred percent it is. Because you're going to look at that and you're going to go like, oh, the Patriots just lose a game. They're good. They're the best team. Look what they did to the Bills a couple weeks ago. And that's a good sign. If you're, That's a good sign if you're a Bills fan, by the way. <laughs> because Vegas always knows. Vegas always knows, man. Always <laughs> knows. It's whoever you're donating your money to when you make those bets. What's interesting to me um, in regards to that Sean McDermott comment you made is that in bigger games it doesn't always happen but from time to time it does it feels like he and his staff overthink things and it happened you know both times they played the Chiefs last year I think it happened against the Titans last year as well um just maybe they changed up their identity a bit too much uh, to try and overcompensate for the strengths of the opponent. Like, I think we remember last year when, they, whatever, it was week five, or I think it was week six last year when the Chiefs came to Highmark Stadium and the Bills dared them to run and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had the best game of his career <laughs> still <laughs> to this day yeah. because the Bills dared him to run and run they did all night long. So 
there's there's a, a minor tick of overthinking it. And I'm sure McDermott wants that entire scenario with New England back a bit. You know, from what happened in the game to how it um, evolved to the post-game stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was very real, the heat that he got stemming from that game to the point in which people outside of Buffalo were still talking about it days after the fact, especially in Boston. Yeah. So there's a there's a certain element of McDermott trying to get right in this one. But honestly, I think for him to get right is just to keep it simple and to do all the things that help them become the dynamic force that they are on, on both sides of the ball. Like, you know, I he always... He's got this recent trend of making little side comments about Brian Dable's game plan without saying Brian da- Brian Dable's name, and he did it again uh, a- after this Panthers game. And he, he he it was very very subtle, but he's like, I really like how how we called the game today, <laughs> or yeah. I really like really like how we how we varied it up. And it's like, okay, that's like a a very subtle message that you would prefer a more balanced attack. We get it. We we understand. But I think the Bills are at their at their best offensively when when they are allowing Brian Dable to be to be as creative as he wants and to dice it up because he's an asset and I know the running game isn't pretty and everything like that, but the way that he breaks down film, the way that he spots weaknesses in opponent, just allowing him to call the game that that I think he should and it's not always perfect but for the most part he's been, he's been pretty on so I don't know I I think this is this is a spot where he McDermott maybe needs to be less in the weeds or less on the ground floor and more so allowing his coordinators to you know call the game that they see best because I think Frazier We'll be we'll be solid on the defensive side of things against Mac Jones and against their their running game. They're going to work all week to to you know solve their problems against the G lead, which the the Patriots ran like crazy against them. And offensively, I you know mix in some runs, but let Dable do what he thinks is best, and let and we 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 said it even after the the Patriots game in the first place. Let Josh Allen dictate how your game is going to go rather than Devin Singletary or Matt Breida or whoever the heck else it might be. Let let the, your best player, the guy who, you like you just said, is the best player on the field of both teams, let him be the one that determines the outcome of the game as opposed to all of this other stuff. So that's, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like, just don't overthink it and allow the guys that you have employed all this time to get you to this point in your build, allow them, give them the ability and the confidence to employ the strategies that they think are going to be best in in a must-win game because what they've done so far in these close games has not been good enough so something needs to change and i think that something might just be keeping it simple like it did in the second half against tampa bay do you like formula one but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, 
the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. I know we have spent the first 23 minutes of this episode talking about the Patriots matchup, and rightfully so, because that is the biggest deal as we get ready for this week. But I do think that one thing that I took away from the Panthers game, and we took away from the second half of the Bucks game, is that the offense has been pretty consistent moving the ball. Like They started with a couple bad drives against Carolina today, but I also believe they had was the deep shot to Gabe Davis that just missed on their second drive. Do you remember? Or was that on a drive that they... Let me what, let me take a look at my drive chart. I feel it, like it. I feel like it might have been on a later drive. I feel like it might have been on the third one that they ultimately third ended drive, up going, first down, first down. Okay, so yeah, they had two bad drives out of the gates, two penalties from the offensive line, a uh, couple sacks mixed in there. Everybody could be better in those. It's probably foolish to just blame it on one person or one position or something. But besides that. The offense did pretty well today against mm-hmm. a defense that's pretty good. Like the Panthers yeah, do are. not the Panthers do not have a bad defense. So it's promising to see how the Bills were able to have success against Carolina and how they were able to have success last week against the Bucks who also have a good defense. Like they're good defenses for different reasons and I know the Patriots also have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Everybody's going to talk about Judon and is he going to go against Spencer Brown or Deion Dawkins and who's going to go against J.C. Jackson and all that stuff. And that's totally warranted. But it is good to see that the Bills have started to have success these last couple weeks against pretty good defenses. And not for anything, even the week before that, before the Patriots game, the Saints defense isn't that bad either. And the Bills did pretty good against them too. So I think the offense has the potential to go out and put together a nice performance. But I think that you're right. I do not think that they need to try and establish the line of scrimmage and be this big, tough football team because that's not what they are. What they are is a team that can have explosive plays and that can stretch the field and with a quarterback that can kind of hurt you both ways, potentially with his feet or in the air. We really like what we've seen from Gabriel Davis. You've been talking about it for months and months and months. It feels like they're a more efficient offense with him on the field. Dawson Knox made some really strong contested catches today. That's a good sign because a couple weeks ago against the Patriots, he did struggle. So you want to see him trending in the right direction. Let Brian Dable go do what he thinks is best. Stop mm-hmm. trying to make this team like a team that can rush for, you know, 20 times a game. If it's not working, don't bother. I think the ultimate, it, it, it's funny because in the second half of the Bucks game, they had success running the ball. And you could say, you could make the argument either way. You could say, well, they had success running the ball because they started to try and run the ball more. But I think they only had success running the ball because the passing game became so dangerous and people were more concerned about trying to stop these deep shots and these deep passes that they were taking that it opened up rushing lanes that weren't previously there. And I think that's the ultimate best way to get an effective running game going is by being a threat in the passing game. And that's what Josh Allen gives you. So I don't think they need to try and be something that they're not against the Patriots. I think they just need to go in there and know that like, listen, Josh Allen is going to do some crazy shit 
He's going to make some awesome plays, and there's probably going to be some mistakes mixed in there too, but that's just life with Josh Allen, and that's why he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And let Dable do what he wants to do. Don't try and get you, cute. Yeah, so you're basically saying Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen? That's exactly what I'm saying. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Like, There's a reason this team lost so many games with the running backs getting like two and a half yards a carry. Like... It's not going to it's not going to change. Like it's not like the offensive line is exceptional run blocking. It's not like they have a running back who is an absolute world beater. You know, they cannot look at the Colts game plan against New England and say like, "Oh, look what they did on the ground." Yeah, that's the best offensive line in football in Jonathan Taylor. They're going to be more effective on the ground than you are. But your quarterback isn't Carson Wentz, and quite frankly, he's like 10 times better than Carson Wentz. So, let him go make mm-hmm. the plays. Mhm. I think the other encouraging aspect to uh, this line of thinking is that, you know, you brought up the Saints game, you brought up uh, the the Buccaneers game, you brought up the Panthers game. But recall, when the Bills were at their best and actually moving the ball down the field against the Patriots, it was when they were allowing Allen to throw it around, even into the wind. This crazy concept that this howitzer of an arm is able to cut through the wind now is it more difficult for his receivers to to catch those passes because it's cold and it's windy and everything like that yes absolutely the degree of difficulty definitely enhances but what is more difficult trying to run into a brick wall with a (laughs) a poor run blocking offensive line against a good run defense or trying to utilize your strong-armed quarterback to try and cut through the wind and move the ball in chunks that you wouldn't be able to on the ground anyway it's 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 kind of just clear logic so yeah I'm 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 with you obviously I'm with you that this don't overthink it let Dable let Allen be who they are and I think what they did today kind of drifting back into this Panthers game a bit what they did today was they essentially gave Josh Allen a week off without giving him a week off They did not call a single quarterback run. Now, were there times where he kind of ran for his life in the backfield because the protection wasn't great? Yes, absolutely. But that's kind of every week. He only Mm -hmm. took off and ran it once, which was on a third down where the Panthers were in man-to-man coverage. He saw a big void. And I will say, he moved around pretty well on the foot. Did not look like he, he was hampered by it by any stretch. But the fact that they thought to themselves, okay, let's take the quarterback runs out of the game plan and make him into more of a pocket passer this game, I think was the best possible thing for a couple of different reasons. One, he's taking fewer hits on on potential re-injury, everything along those lines. Two, gaining more confidence as a pocket passer heading into a crucial week against a better defense than what the Panthers are. And like you said, the Panthers are still a really good defense. So all of these different things, I think it was important for them to get in a rhythm with as a passing offense. And yet again, it is not a coincidence that the Bills have been at their best as a passing offense when Gabriel Davis is on the field. <laughs> Gabriel Davis in this game had more snaps than any other receiver uh, on the roster. That includes Stefan Diggs. It definitely includes Cole Beasley. Um, Gabriel Davis, by my count, had 65 out of 72 snaps, including penalties, which was a 90.3% snap share. 
by leaps and bounds, the highest of his season. Stefan Diggs was out there for 60 out of 72. They kind of took him out uh, near the end of the game just because, you know, they, they had it well in hand. At that point, they were just running the ball. Um, Cole Beasley had under 50% of snaps. That's because they did a lot of two tight end looks. But Davis, he, he had a great matchup. You know, the, yep. the Panthers, as I think we all thought that they would, they decided to put Stefan Gilmore on Stefan Diggs, best cornerback against best receiver, and go about it that way. And it left Gabriel Davis against C.J. Henderson, Rashawn Melvin, like players that are susceptible to good footwork and getting past them in man-to-man coverage, which the Panthers run. I, th- I think it was the it was the seventh most in the league heading in heading into the game. I didn't see this. Uh, I didn't see that the stats were were lined up about how much they were in man from this game. But they they run man to man coverage a ton, and so you have Davis winning at the line of scrimmage the way that he was, and you know winning contested catches in the back of the end zone, everything like this. Like he was, he was money in the game. Two touchdowns. The second one was kind of a gimme, but two touchdowns, five catches, over eighty yards. Led the team in receiving. Led the team in snaps. Like what are we doing here? It, 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 he needs to be on the field even when Emmanuel Sanders is back. Uh, he needs to be a big part of this offense because it is as clear as day that he presents matchup problems that Sanders just doesn't at this point. Sanders was really good early on and he's fallen off and we all, we all see it. So now going back to the Patriots game, seeing what we did from Gabriel Davis over the last couple of games in a more enhanced role that is a huge difference from when the Bills played the Patriots last. Because against the Patriots, Davis really didn't have that much time on the field. And certainly didn't run a ton of routes. It was basically Emmanuel Sanders out there with Beasley and, and Stefan Diggs. Now they're replacing that with a more dynamic number two receiver that is going to challenge the Patriots' second cornerback, much more because J.C. Jackson is probably going to see a lot of Stefan Diggs, and that gives the Bills an advantage in the in this game. So, even if Sanders can go, keep Davis in the lineup. It, he gives them such an element that that Sanders just doesn't at this point in his career. Joe, who caught the only Bills touchdown against the Patriots? It might have been Gabe Davis. Wow, what a coincidence. That's so funny how it works like that. I and think this he is... only ran something like nine routes in that game, which which is like, you know, it, it goes to show that that is a legitimate difference that could be an advantage for them in, in the game, especially if the winds aren't going 60 miles an hour. Well, it's also an advantage too, and this is something that you talk about, and it's something you actually asked him about earlier this week in practice, but like Gabriel Davis is the best blocker on the on you know as far as Bills wide receivers are concerned so it doesn't immediately tip their hand in what they're going to do when Gabriel Davis is on the field like you know when they're going four wide they're usually never going to run the ball it's not like they go four wide a ton when Jay Kumaro comes onto the field it almost feels like they always run you know when Gabriel Davis is on the field if you're a defense you still have to be cognizant of the fact that the Bills might try and run the ball because he is such a good blocker or they're going to use him in the passing game which is a you know, obviously something that he's also very good at. So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't really think anybody would be disagreeing with us at this point. I think that Gabriel Davis is far more effective. And I think Emmanuel Sanders, when he comes back, whenever he gets healthy, 
you know, if this team is going to go on a run, like awesome, really good number three wide receiver with big play potential who can stretch the field and does a lot of things that you want. But Gabriel Davis should be wide receiver two on this team for the rest of the year and for the next several years. It should be him and Stefan Diggs. And then like we talked about so much the last couple weeks, go out and find a slot guy. Cole Beasley doesn't have the same step now, especially against man coverage that he did a couple years ago when they are playing against teams that like to run a lot of zone. Cole Beasley can have his big performances and can get his targets. But, you know, it feels like at this point, Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Dawson Knox. Basically, just put them on the field, and then if you have plays where you're bringing other guys on, bring them on, but that should be kind of like your base set. And then Cole Beasley, obviously. Yeah, I, I actually liked um, McKenzie when he was filling in for Beasley um, uh, on the 18 snaps that he was out there. So, that you know, that's they're trying to reincorporate him a bit more after taking him out of the lineup completely. And, you know, I... He at least gives the threat of that jet sweep. They're, I don't think they're going to run it um, all that often because teams are kind of expecting it from them now. But yeah, it's just just a little bit of a, a change up from, from Beasley out there every single snap. And I think McKenzie has a bit more juice and can win against man coverage a bit more or maybe an equal amount, maybe a little bit more than, than what Beasley can do right now. But yeah, it's... Uh, it, that is the biggest the biggest change in the Bills' favor heading into this matchup. Now, when you think about the offensive line, yeah, the the big question, you know, I don't think Feliciano makes too big of a difference. If I'm honest, yeah. uh, I'm not even I'm not even sure if Feliciano didn't go on reserve COVID lists um, that he would have been in a normal starting five lineup with Dawkins still available. Yes, I think there's a, there's a legitimate shot that Ike Butker would have been the starting left guard and Feliciano, again, like he was last week, would have been their top reserve guard. So I, I'm not making too much of a deal about John Feliciano. The biggest potential swing is Deion Dawkins getting healthy in time or testing out in time because the, the testing protocols are you know slightly different now. Um, and, and so that's... That's something to keep an eye on this week. But he has seven days, Mark, from now to be cleared of the reserve COVID-19 list. And his entrance into the lineup has a humongous ripple effect because of, because Spencer Brown's no longer at left tackle where he was an absolute mess tonight. And, you know, it's it's tough on Spencer Brown because yeah. the first, that those were legitimately, on Friday, the first snaps he's had at left tackle since the summer. Um, legitimate, uh, the, like they, I'm sure they mix them in here, here and there, but you know, with the point to have him play at left tackle, that, that was the first time it's happened since the summer. And then Daryl Williams has to go back to right tackle and we know he struggles there. And then you bring Cody Ford back into the lineup or John Feliciano and, you know, Ford and Feliciano have had their struggles this season. So it's just this humongous domino effect without Dawkins. And by the way, Dawkins over the past couple of weeks let me let me, let me take a look at, at my grades I, have, I want to get this right I had him graded as uh well above average against Tampa Bay um above average against New England below average against New Orleans um but well above average against the Jets uh above average against the Colts so he's been rounding into form like the Saints game was bad but four of his last five games have been pretty good and yeah. he's definitely been their best offensive lineman 
over that stretch. So putting him back in the lineup, working against the defensive line that the Patriots have, that's going to be one of the biggest swing factors for me in getting the Bills' offense to where they want to go. And also, if they're going to reestablish Josh Allen as a runner, they'll want to have Dawkins in there as opposed to whatever the heck Spencer Brown did this past weekend. Yeah, and Matthew Judon is probably sitting there licking his chops watching you know, what happened today against Spencer Brown, if Spencer Brown is going to be the guy who is playing left tackle. Now, I'm only See, they, bringing... they line up Judon everywhere, though, so yeah, it's, it's that's... not even an exact... They, like, they, they will go with Van Noy against the left tackle. They have a bunch of guys that can do it. I'm only bringing this up because I feel like in this sense, it's relevant. You know, this is not something we've spent a lot of time talking about, especially in the postgame podcast, because it hasn't been like a super big talking point, especially in postgame stuff. Deion Dawkins had COVID earlier in the summer and was hospitalized Mm -hmm. for COVID Mm -hmm. and was very open about his battle with COVID. Now, I just looked it up to make sure because I wanted to double check and fact check this. He told us when we spoke to him early in the season that he got COVID right before he was, quote, fully vaccinated. So he said Mm -hmm. that he had his first shot and then he got sick while waiting on his second shot. But he eventually got the second shot in that two week window is when he got sick before you become, quote, fully vaccinated. The protocols are different for fully vaccinated players. So conceivably, if he's feeling fine or doing well and does not have COVID anymore, he does not have to sit out the 10-day window that other players have had to sit out. And that's a He just needs to test out. He just needs to test out. He needs two negative tests in consecutive days. We don't know. We don't. He could still be symptomatic. He could still be sick. We genu- We don't know. And we will not know until he is taken off of the COVID list. But for the sake of the conversation, I think it's important because I still think there's a lot of people who don't necessarily know how it works. And there's been so many different changes and whatnot. Deion Dawkins does not need to miss 10 days. He just needs to test. I don't want to say just either because that diminishes something that is obviously so right. serious. But he right needs to test pot negative twice and if he does and he's ready to go then he can be back in the lineup there's no specific timeline for how long he needs to be out so there is certainly a chance that he could be back for next week there was even a chance he could have played today now he didn't mm-hmm. he does not taken off the covid list but i think that's important as we talk about this week and kind of the outlook you know there's a chance he could be back it's not like this is an we, we genuinely are just speculating at this point, but we are not speculating about what needs to happen for him to get off the COVID list. And that's mm-hmm. I think I think that's an important distinction here. Yep. And you know, Feliciano has also said that he is vaccinated. Yes. Um, and so it the same rules would apply to him. So if uh-huh. if, if you're wondering. And yes. Um, yeah. Um I know Feliciano has been vocal in on Twitter in support of Cole Beasley with all of that, uh, all of that stuff throughout the summer and spring. But I think that was more him um, going to bat for his teammate because uh-huh. even in one of his responses, he said, He's "I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated," but and so there, there there's that to there's mm-hmm. that um, layer to it as well. So if you if you think their best five is with Feliciano in there, then there's a chance that both Dawkins and Feliciano could be back in time so this uh outside of josh outside of gabriel davis is there any other thing from this game that that you took away that we can extrapolate to 
the Patriots game in your mind? And if it's nothing, it, it can be nothing, and we can move on. We can move on to awards. Um, I I might have a thing or two, but uh, is there anything from what you saw from from what the Bills did that uh, is meaningful moving forward? I'm trying to decide if I think they did a better job rushing the passer today, or if it was just that Cam Newton is not the player he was and holds on to the ball way too long and they took advantage of the situation. So I don't I, I think they took a step in the right direction because they did pressure the quarterback and they led to some sacks and they led to some bad throws by Cam Newton, but I don't know if that's more of a Cam Newton issue or if it's something the Bills did well. So I think that that's something, and I briefly mentioned it, and he did not have like a huge stat line or an exceptional game as far as just like numbers are concerned, but Dawson Knox made some nice catches in the first half that really helped his team move the chains, and they were not like easy give-me catches. They were contested catches, which is a good sign for him because we know that he can make the big explosive play, but we haven't always seen him make those contested catches like he did today. So those are two things that stood out to me, at least in a game where I was you know, thinking the same thing as you, I was like, wow, next week's going to be crazy. Like Mm -hmm. I'm already, I'm already thinking about the Patriots. How about this map? Okay. How about it? Cam Newton held onto the ball on average for 2.44 seconds. Really? Which is not long at all. No, Mm -hmm. not long at all. Okay. That's a good, then that's, then that is a good sign for the pass rush, especially like, you know, F.A. Obata has the back-to-back sacks in huge moments of the game. So like, that's good. Um, Yeah. Then that's a good thing. Here's the difference. The Panthers have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Um, They, uh, let's see, they ended up, starting both of their normal starting guards who are still not good. Um, their left tackle struggles, Cam Irving. Um, their two guards were Michael Jordan and throwback John Miller, who was a yes. draft pick of the Bills. Oh, God. And, uh, that says a and lot. Pat Elfline is their starting center who is – was their normal backup who is filling in for Matt Paradis, who they lost for the entire season due to an injury. So their, their offensive line is basically in shambles. It's a huge talking point for the Panthers uh, and uh, their fans down there that they've neglected it as much as they have. Really, their only good piece is uh, their right tackle, tackle Taylor Moten. So th- that's like, I don't know how well the defensive ends did in this game. I I need like Greg Rousseau had a a pressure early on. Didn't really see too much from him after that, but I would much rather see the film, especially because I was super critical of those young defensive ends all week and really for the past month because they've just been no shows. So I want to see what they did against an inferior offensive line to see if they are able to step back into the limelight a bit more than they did. And Epinesa didn't play this game due to a, a late week injury, probably. But Boogie Basham got in there, so we get to see some film on him. So to be determined from that perspective. One big takeaway that I had, um, and this was one of the first things I brought up in in my post-game observations, and I did not think this was going to happen, is I think Harrison Phillips might have passed our Latulale on the depth chart. And Phillips was the starter this week. 
Now, these two guys have been active um, in for the same game only six times this year. And this was the first time that Phillips got the start ahead of Latulale. And, you know, there there's a certain school of thought that you, you think, okay, well, they're trying to bring back Star a bit slower just because he's coming off missing a game from the toe injury. But after he missed three games due to being on the reserve COVID list, Latulale was the starter against the Patriots um, in that game. So there's just a, a bit a bit to look at here. And Phillips, uh, from a snap count perspective, outsnapped um, Star. Phillips had 61% of snaps by my count, and Star only had 30%. And then when you look at the splits between how the Panthers did when these two guys were on the field... On 21 plays, let me get my notebook out so, so I don't botch this. On 21 plays that Star was on the field that counted, so non-penalty plays, the Bills allowed 115 yards and 5.5 yards per play. When Harrison Phillips was on the field for 44 plays that counted, the Bills only allowed 136 yards and 3.1 yards per play. So Phillips on film has looked really good for much of the last... Basically, the entire time that Latulale has been out um, over the last six games or so. And I think the Bills have really taken notice because they are giving him more and more opportunities. Even in the Patriots game that's, that Star started, Phillips wound up outsnapping him by a pretty large margin. So I just wonder, is Phillips becoming a low-key, huge defender on the scheme, and if they're playing him and trusting him as much as they are at a one at the one technique spot and the way that he's looked on film, and they've been so complimentary of him, I kind of wonder if he is a uh, a focal point. Maybe not like to a huge contract extension. I kind of wonder if he's a focal point of of what they resign in the offseason. Did Starla Tulele play against the Patriots? Yeah, he did. He, um, let's are see. You, are you sure? I'm absolutely positive. He started. He played 27 snaps. So, oh, so did he, he missed the, he did nothing. He Jets, Colts, Saints, started against the Patriots, got 27 snaps, and then he missed the Buccaneers game due to a toe injury. He did not have anything. I'm looking at the game book from that game. He is not even in like the game book because he did nothing in that game but he's on he's in the starting lineup yeah that's concerning um because i'm looking at harrison phillips and harrison phillips had eight combined tackles in that game and starla tulele as you just said started i don't even remember him playing and he Mm -hmm. did literally nothing besides you know apparently Mm -hmm. take up space i think it's good for i think it's good to your point that they have the two of them because they like to do so many different rotations and they like to change things up so much and they you know like to bring guys in and out, there's not as big of a drop-off as there would be without one or both of them available. So I think that's a good sign. And Harrison Phillips has made some really strong plays. Like he was very, he jumped off the, I don't want to say the tape, but like he jumped, stood out today watching the game against Carolina. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know that's against Chuba Hubbard, but still like, he made some nice plays. So that is a good sign for them moving forward. And 
you know, I thought Matt Milano was once again a freak today. He's always pretty good. Taron Johnson had some splash plays. I mean, they've got some they've got some really really solid players on their defense. We don't need to we don't need to talk about those guys because everybody knows at this point how good they are. Yeah, Mario Williams, Hughes, the list goes on and on. Darcel Marius. Darcel Marius, Darcel Marius, Darcel Marius. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Harrison Phillips, I think, is making a very strong case to the front office to be re-signed, and especially because they can save almost $4.2 million by cutting Star Latulale in the offseason. Pretty compelling case to move on from your 32-year-old one-technique defensive tackle and to... Uh, get uh, Harrison Phillips signed to at least a one-year extension just to see if, you know, this, what he's showing right now is sustainable over the course of time. And so that way they don't go into the offseason barren of someone who's in the prime of their career uh, at a position that they really value highly in in that one technique spot. So, you're, so you know, just you're, for thought. You're a 32-year-old defensive tackle who, by the way, has only played in nine games this year. And I know mm-hmm. it's like the worst cliche out there, but they do truly believe that like, if you're not going to be available, then there are more valuable things that they could use that roster spot for. And Yeah. I mean, three games wa- was due to COVID. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to yes. downplay that. But yeah. his play on the field recently, even before that stint, has not been. Um, so superior that they could think to themselves, all right, let's, let's, uh, he's got to be on the roster next year. It's got to yeah. happen. Yeah. Like Phillip, ha- Phillips has done a lot over the last two months of the season where I'm like, wow, okay, I see you. Really, his only bad game, me, I'm looking back at my grades, his only bad game was against uh, the Colts, and who didn't have a bad game in that one? So against, you know, I'm, from the time that he they stopped making him a healthy scratch against the Titans, he was their best defensive tackle uh, by my grades. Uh, against the Dolphins, he was good. Against the Jaguars, he was really good. Against the Jets, he was really good. Against the Saints, he was really good. Against the Patriots, he was their best defensive tackle. And then against uh, the Buccaneers, he was once again one of their best defensive tackles. So he's been he's making a case. I'm telling you, he, he is he he might be back next year. Can we play a quick game? Go on. Okay, so I went to Pro Football Reference because I looked up Starlet Tulele, and I was wanted, I was that's when I was looking at his game books. And there is a feature on Pro Football Fo- Reference where when you click the homepage, it has like people have also searched for. And the first person that came up is a Bills player. Well, a former Bills player. He played here last year. I'm going to give you some hints about this player, and I want to see if you can get this right. He has only played for the Buffalo Bills in actual games. He is also 31 years old, just like Starlet Tulele. His college is West Alabama. Who is the player I am referencing? He's only played for the Bills. He's only played, played for them. the Bills in actual game, like an actual game action. He spent one year on a different team, but it doesn't look like he got any like playing time when he was there. Well, actually, you know what? I lied. He did get. He did play. So, uh, three years with the Bills, one year elsewhere. I don't think it's the guy I'm thinking of. The, he it's did, not the he, guy that went to the Browns, right? He no, and he has never started an NFL game, but he has huh. seen snaps on special teams and fill-in work and stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of at defensive other... tackle. No, no, on oh. defense, on defense, but. 
that's why it was so weird that when I came up, like, why would people also search for this person? But yeah, 31 years old, defense, played last year. He was on the Bills roster at one point, and his college is West Alabama. Hmm. I would never get this, by the way. I know who the player is, but based off of the clues, I would never get this. I can give you another clue if you would like. I think if I give you the next clue, you'll get it. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Um, no, Marlo went to JMU. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one more. He was sure. a line. He was a linebacker. That that's where I was leaning toward, um, and they've had a lot of them roll through there. Yeah. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, crap! What is his name? <laughs> what is his name? What is his name? Uh, it's not. It's not that guy. Oh, crap! What is his name? Three, say it. Th- three seasons with the Bills. One season, yeah, in, I, one, one season in Miami in the middle. I, I I can see him by face. Go ahead. Deion Lacy. Yep, that's the one. Deion Lacy. He went. He also played for the Dolphins and yep. is huge special teams guy. He was number forty four. Yeah, yeah. I, yep. I it's... I could see him. I could see him. I just couldn't remember his name. Yeah, he's right next to Sid Luckman and Marquise Colston. As players you also searched for. All right. So there you go. I think that's a good segue into awards. I think uh, it's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, since they trounced the, the Panthers today, let's get into the negative stuff. So let's start with the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all today. Matt Beauvais, who do you have? The player that did not show up at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kind of dominated. So this is a little yeah. bit tricky. Does, does not have to be a Bills player. Ooh, it does not have to be a Bills player. Correct. You can do whatever you want with it. You go first. I'm thinking. Um, let's see. I don't even know if I have one. I, uh, I, I have I have a, an answer, I guess. It's not a great one, because but Matt Breida, he didn't do anything today. They didn't use him at all today. Here's a here's a here's a here's a another game. How many snaps do you think he had today? It's probably more than I think because you're asking the question. So I'm gonna say he had fifteen. Three. And two of them were on kneel downs. You tricked me because I, I would have I said I said I would have thought very low, but when you asked I played me the this, player, yes, you did. Okay, yeah, he didn't. I mean, three snaps. I mean, he had so two of them were on kneel downs, and he had yeah, one rush. The yeah, there you go. Devin Singletary took every available running back snap, not on kneel downs, other than one. That's good. <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, so you had Matt Breida. I think that's yeah, that's a fine one. Um, yeah, I'll go with Tommy Sweeney just because, because yeah, let a pass yeah. go right through his hands. But even though he was on the field a lot more often than he usually is, but um, yeah, that that was 
a bad mistake, especially for someone that they say, oh, his hands are just the best. <laughs> Rock not, not ideal there. All right, let's go with the Vontae Davis Award for the player that didn't show up in the second half. I was going to say Tommy Sweeney for this one because I'm pretty sure yeah. that play happened in the second half, but you've kind of stole my thunder now. With oh, that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to answer the question. <laughs> I am <laughs> a player that didn't show up in the second half. You want me to go? You know what? This is going to be weird because he is like their second best player. But Stefan Diggs didn't do a whole lot of really anything in the second half. It felt like I know he had like I think he had one catch in the second half. Um, but yeah, he's, he's going to be my answer. Mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs, he didn't have a Fair. really a ton of production in the second half. Fair. I'm going to go with Mitchell Trubisky. Because I think they probably should have been a tiny bit safer, safer with with Josh than they were uh, uh, yeah. in the fourth quarter. Um, so that's not a a damning thing against Trubisky. Probably more so on on the coaching staff. I think I don't know. I, I guess they wanted to ice the game, what have you. But they ran it basically every single snap. Tell me, Trubisky can't do that. Come on. Let's yeah, and, and that's why, and that's why there's like an asterisk with Diggs. This is not like a knock on anything yeah. he knock on anything he did. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he had an unbelievable play on the touchdown that he scored. It, it's just he wasn't really utilized in the second. I think he had one. I think he had one catch in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so those are two solid answers. Okay, let's go to the Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise for a good reason. I am going to go with F.A. Obata. Um, it's the only answer. I feel like it's low-hanging fruit, but I, I do think it's relevant. He obviously had back-to-back sacks. That's huge. He had a missed opportunity in the first half when it looked like he had Cam Newton one-on-one and Newton was able to get away. And I think that might've been the play where then the ball came, somebody forced a fumble on Newton and then it got picked up by DJ Moore and then it was a big first down. But overall, really good day for F.A. Obato, who's not somebody who's like always active. So that's a good sign mm-hmm. for him moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going with Vernon Butler. First, uh, first game active. Um, since week 11 against the Colts and he got himself a nice couple of plays. So I don't think he's good. I think (laughs) um, they prefer that he's probably a healthy scratch most weeks, but uh, he is there. I don't think they wanted to burn another um, practice squad activation. Actually, I don't even think they had to burn a practice squad activation. Maybe they just gave him a shot against a team that it, maybe it was motivating to go up against his his old team, trying to how, get him jump started. So how yeah. how convenient go, is how convenient is it that we both picked former Panthers? <laughs> I honestly it was it was shot because like like we all know, I keep snap counts. I was shocked that they did not go with an entire Panthers defensive line because they could have. They could have went with uh, Mario Addison, um, Latulale, Vernon Butler, and F.A. <laughs> Obata, and they never did it. Oh, missed opportunity. V- huge missed opportunity. They went with three out of four sometimes, but they never never pulled the, the full four out of four. Jerks. <laughs> um, okay, let's go to the Blaine Gabbert, Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. 
Devin Singletary. Sure, sure. <laughs> I said sure. that very, like, good Very game. convincing. Very convincing. Good game. It was not an outstanding mm. game. I think that he's probably going to get maybe more credit than he deserves. That sounds so harsh. Like, he had a really nice 16-yard touchdown. That was great. My mental math here, 86 divided by 22. Uh, I don't... Under not, four. That's not four. I was going to say that's not four. So mm-hmm. I'm not, like, jumping on the table and saying, like, yeah, Devin Singletary. He's got to get way more carries. He's got to get way more touches. Please I, don't I, jump on the table. I don't think that's the case. It's like the Tom Cruise moment on, like, the talk show. Um yeah, no, I, I don't think he's like needs to get a ton of touches or a ton of carries or they need to give a running back 22 attempts a game. But I think that he was more effective than what they've got most games this season. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. I will give it to, gosh, I don't even know. I think this one kind of goes hand in hand with the last one, honestly. Um, you know, Saran Neal for getting in for four snaps, persevered out there, which, by the way, could become a pretty big issue uh, if either Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace and got a little preview of it against a non-throwing team. Uh-huh. If either of those guys get injured, could get ugly in a hurry. Uh, but the the big thing is we learned who the bills go to first if one of those guys get injured which is saran neal which means yikes um the last one is the gotta watch the tape award can be serious or not serious um map ove you have always picked offensive linemen almost exclusively (laughs) almost exclusively are you going to continue the trend no (laughs) because i just said it (laughs) no (laughs) um i feel like it's i i feel like it's a little too blanketed with that Mm -hmm. i am going to go with somebody who is a little uh, it's a little bit of a strange pick here but i am going to go with dane jackson and the reason i'm going to go with dane jackson is because coming away from this game i was like wow i thought dane jackson played pretty good today all things considered, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, both good players, not amazing players, but both good players. And I think the Bills did a pretty good job containing those two guys for the most part. But I got to watch the tape because I do think some of that has to do with Cam Newton not really having it anymore. Mm -hmm. So give Dane Jackson credit. At first watch, I thought he did well, but I don't know if he only did well because Cam Newton was throwing ducks all day. Mm -hmm. See, cornerbacks, I mean, cornerbacks are another good one for the Gotta Watch the Table Award because you only, yeah, it's, you only... it's really deceiving because at first glance, you sit there and go, Buccaneers game, how do you think Dane Jackson did? Yeah, pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, because he broke up the Gronk pass. But I don't know for sure because I I don't know their play call and what they prefer in, in things, but... I, my guess is that that overtime play was Dane Jackson's fault Um, because he was in man coverage on Evans and they were supposed to, uh, they were supposed to, or Levi Wallace played it to a certain way to where the crossing routes, he held on the hash mark and picked up Evans to the one side 
and Jackson stumbled earlier in the route after Evans kind of pushed him off within five yards. And I wonder if he was just trying to catch up to him all the way. He went past the the hash mark barrier and then Perriman popped open and that, that play was not Edmonds fault. So my guess was that it was Dane Jackson's fault. So that's why you got to watch tape on guys like Dane Jackson. So I think there's a good watch tape. Uh, I'll go with, I'll, I'll take a, take Beauvais torch. I got to watch tape on Cody Ford. You know, this is, this might be the last chance <laughs> that, yeah. that we get, that we get to see him, uh, in the starting lineup. And it might be the last tape that the bills have before going into the off season. Now, I don't think Cody Ford's going to factor in their brains to the starting lineup, but I do wonder um, what uh, what they might think about him as a depth option next year, everything like that. So I'm like, I watch the tape, Cody Ford, see see what happened. All right, so that will do it. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to the most <laughs> anticipated game of the season this week. So yep. should be should should be fun, and it's a one o'clock game. Yes. So you're not going to have to lose any sleep. Yeah. You can calm yourself down. You can read a nice book after the, after the game. Kind of, kind of, <laughs> you know, just listen to some soothing sounds. You don't have to be up until three in the morning. Am I only talking about you and I, Matt Bovey? I'm not really sure. Maybe some fans kind of feel that way too after yeah. you know a big game like that. So, uh, yeah, and uh, and it'll be the day after Christmas. So. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see what that provides. Um, a tradition unlike any other. Uh, the Bills going to Patriots on the weekend most closest to Christmas. It is a every, long-standing tradition. Every year. Every year. The last four or five years, it is. It has happened. And yep. uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things. Okay, Matt Beauvais, any fond words of farewell before uh, Patriots Week officially commences? I hope you all have a great holiday with friends and family. And the, yeah, that's it. Healthy, happy, good (laughs) holiday. I'm sorry, I'm a little dejected. You caught me at a bad time. I'm in a big fantasy football matchup, oh, and please. I'm I'm sitting here wondering where the hell is Mike Evans, and then I just get the notification that Mike Evans is doubtful to return, and so you caught me a little dejected. But no, obviously, I hope everybody has a very good holiday. I know you know I'm going to be seeing a lot of family and friends these next couple of days, and I hope you can be too. And I hope your conversations about the Bills aren't. Anything that's too stressful, because I know I'm going to hear like from all of my extended family, all of the questions that people tweet at me every day, like, why is Levi Wallace so bad? Or like, why does Tremaine Edmonds do this? Is that what your family sounds like? No, but I feel like you have to change the. T- I feel like you have to change the tone when you're impersonating like a hypothetical conversation. I, I don't. Yeah, I maybe fair. maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but. Uh, no, that's fair. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to spend the day after Christmas together, Joe. Oh yes, yeah that uh, that will be a sight to behold. Um, yes, it will. And because it's Patriots Week, oh, gonna, I didn't even think about gonna, that. Gonna get Matt Fairburn back on the the preview pod this week, so that'll that'll be fun to 
kind of compare notes, see where these two teams are, see how things happened in the Colts game from his perspective, and uh, how these two teams line up for Sunday at 1 p.m. at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. All right, Mapove, thank you for the kind words to our listeners. I, I echo your sentiments other than, than that. What's going on with Levi <laughs> Wallace? <laughs> yeah. Except well, for that part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. Uh, if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. Get yourself a discount on a yearly subscription. We'll make a great uh holiday present to a loved one if uh, if you're so inclined um, so theathletic.com slash the buffalo beat uh, for that discount on the yearly subscription so for matt Bove, my name is joe Biscalia. thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you later in patreon see you then